to take your Bibles and open them up to the book of 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. Uh, this challenge really won't take us all that long. I don't think we should be in danger of going over time. But it's a challenge that we all as Christians need. 2 Peter chapter 1 is one of those uh, chapters that has several key passages within it. There's several verses that are very well known. If we look at 2 Peter chapter 1, obviously we start reading in verse 1 where he says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So we start off the first two verses with a relatively common greeting. For a lot of the epistles in the New Testament, they start with this grace and peace from God. And that even that communicates theology to us. It communicates the, the security that we have in Christ that uh, just benefits that he brings us through our salvation. But then we come to verse 3, and verse 3 is a very, very well-known verse. It says, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. That passage or that verse has been preached on numerous times. Uh, it would be, I, I would consider most of us, uh, we've probably heard that uh, in a sermon before. We've heard a sermon about us living a godly life and how God has given us everything that we need uh, to be able to do that. But a lot of times we, we skip over the verses that are in between and the context of the whole passage because if we only have that verse, if we only have according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, there's still a massive question mark in our minds, or at least there should be. There should be the question, if we only have that one verse, there should be the question, why? Why do I need to live a, a godly life? Why does it matter that he's given me everything that pertains to life and godliness? Why do I need to please the Lord? Why do I need to be growing or to live a life that's different than the rest of the world? And that's what the rest of the verses kind of give us a framework of. So we continue reading verse 4, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, obviously speaking of our salvation. Verse 5, And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. And there we see three verses that are the second most common passage in this chapter. We've also heard uh, sermons, we've heard uh, Sunday school lessons on this passage of how we need to be putting these things on it, it. It's a it's a list of virtues that in some ways echoes the fruit of the spirit uh, and different different lists that Paul uh, has in his epistles as well. And all of these are things that should be a part of a Christian's life. They, these are things that should characterize us as Christians. But again, if we only have these verses and we don't look at the rest of the con of the rest of the context then we're left with the same question. Why do I need to add these things to my life? Why do I need to add to my faith? Isn't faith enough? Isn't faith sufficient? And the answer to that is yes and no. There's a little bit of both to it. Obviously, faith is the starting point of our relationship with God. Without faith, we cannot, uh, we cannot be saved. 
Salvation, you, you and I know it because we've shared the gospel with others that to be saved, you have to place your faith and your trust in Christ. Put all that we are on Him and trust Him with it. We have to have faith that Christ did indeed die for our sins and was buried and He rose again. All of that is required for us to have the saving knowledge of Christ. But isn't faith enough? Yes, faith is enough to save, but Peter makes it very clear in verse 5 that we are to add to our faith. That faith is the starting point, but we can't, be, we can't misunderstand this. Faith is not the end. Faith is not the end of the Christian life. It's the starting point. And so while faith should always be existent in our, existent in our lives, faith needs to be added to. And what it means is we need to add virtue and knowledge and other qualities onto this part. And basically what all of that means is it means that we as Christians actually have a job to do here on earth. See, if we were never commanded to add to our faith, if we were never commanded to become more like Christ, then we could live a life of apathy and it would be just a-okay. But we are commanded to do these things. We're commanded to add to our faith. But the question is still, why? Why do I need to do these things? Because logically, we as humans, we go to the place where we think, well, God's going to take me to heaven when I die, and he's going to glorify me. He's going to make me perfect. Why do I need to be working on these things right now if he's just going to finish the job when I get to heaven? It's a logical question, and it's one we need to have an answer to. So we continue reading, and these are the verses, I think, that get lost in this, in this passage. Verses 8 through 10 give us three reasons or three answers to that question. Why do I actually need to be growing? Why do I need to be adding to my faith? Verse 8, for if these things, these virtues in verses 5 through 7, for if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Essentially, what Peter is saying here is that if I am growing, if I am adding to my faith and getting to know God more and becoming more like him, then I will be fruitful for his kingdom. Obviously, that, that phrase, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, is speaking of his word and what he commands us to do in his word. There are so many commands, there are so many uh, incentives for us as Christians of things that we need to be doing here on earth, including sharing the gospel, love one another. Children, obey your parents. All of those are commands, and those are part of the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those are, those are the things that God has revealed to us through his word. And so the ultimatum then is that we should be fruitful for his kingdom here on earth. But the Bible says in verse 8 that if I am not adding to my faith, if I am not actively growing or pursuing Christ with my life, then I actually run the risk of being unfruitful or being barren for his kingdom, being barren for the gospel, being unfruitful for what Christ wants to do here on earth through me. I run a risk of being unfruitful for him. And so that's obviously a warning. It's a warning that there is um, th there's great shame that, that will come about as a result of us not living for the Lord, as a result of us not growing to become more like Christ. The second one uh, is in verse 9, and it kind of adds to this theme. 
In verse 9 it says, But he that lacketh these things, once again talking about those virtue, the one who lacks these virtues is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. And this takes that one step further and it says that if I'm not growing, if I'm not adding to my faith, then there's a chance that I've actually forgotten what Christ did for me. I'm essentially making his pain and his suffering for me of no effect. I'm denying it and I'm making it worthless to me. See, the knowledge of what Christ did for us should fuel our living for him. We've heard that over and over again, that what Christ did for us should make us live differently. But this is why it matters. This is it being fleshed out that if I'm not living for Christ, if I'm not growing and making every effort to be in his word or, or get to know him through prayer, if I'm not doing those things, if I'm not putting in the diligence that is necessary, then I am essentially cheapening my view of Christ's death on the cross. I'm making it possibly of no effect to me. It's not talking about losing your salvation. That's not the thrust of the passage. It's that remembrance and understanding and respect, essentially, of what Christ did for us on the cross. And so we have these two warnings, these, uh, these, these somber uh, ideas for us to think about. And then Peter turns it around in verse 10, and he gives us our third reason to live for Christ, our third reason that we need to be adding to our faith. And that is, in verse 10, it says, Wherefore, the rather, on the contrary, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do, do these things, ye shall never fall. We see that word diligence again, and that's the same word that was used in verse 5. It says, beside this, giving all diligence. And diligence, and also the sister word determination, those two words, a lot of times we don't like to, to talk about them because uh, we as Christians, we like to stay as far away from, from work salvation as we can because we understand that we cannot be saved through our works. But Peter makes it very, very clear that works are necessary in our relationship with God. That diligence in our relationship is, is absolutely essential. That obviously we don't trust in our works, we don't trust in our own flesh or our determination to gain any merit with God. The book of Jeremiah says that we are actually foolish. The fool trusts in his own flesh. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. There's so much in there. But diligence is necessary. Determination in our practical, everyday relationship with God is absolutely necessary. And we have the hope there that in James, in the book of James, it says, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. And that's a promise that we have. It's a, it's a wonderful promise, but there's two parts to it. We need diligence because we actually have to do the drawing nigh in the first place. We, we effectuate it many times. And then God draws an eye to us. And that's kind of what Peter is saying here is in, instead of living an apathetic life, instead of living a life that's not pursuing God, rather we should give all diligence to make our calling and our election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. And once again, it's not speaking about salvation. It's not speaking about losing our salvation. That's not the thrust of the passage, but Rather, it's speaking about the practical fear that we as Christians can have of falling away from the Lord in everyday life. We've seen Christians who have taken time away from the Lord. Uh, there was one song that's is, Come Thou Fount was written by a man who 
He wrote the first two verses uh, about the wonder of Christ and the wonder of who God is and uh, all, all of the praise that we should bring to Him. And then he went away from the Lord and he was brought back by, by God's hand. God brought him back to himself as he does with, with his children. And then the author wrote the third stanza which says, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Don't you and I feel that as well? The Bible says it, it kind of gives a remedy for that. Because we have that fear, and fear is a normal thing for, for us as humans. But Christ's words stand opposed to, to our fear. And it says that if, if I'm getting to know God, if I am pursuing Him, and I am diligently seeking Him, then I won't fall away from Him. And so that fear is cast out. There's no reason that I need to have that if I am pursuing God as He is as, as he has told me to do. And so these three things, these uh, the two warnings and then the promise that we have, all of these go toward the point to encourage and exhort us as Christians to not live a life of apathy, not to waste our time here on earth living for ourselves or, or just doing the things that are easy, but rather living a life that is intentionally focused on pursuing the Lord. Intentionally focused on getting to know Him. There's so much that we, so much more that we could say about this. We could spend all year talking about this. Uh, but the Lord wants to know us. He wants us to pursue Him. There's a reason why He has made every effort to give us everything we need for us to live a godly life. And that is that our relationship with Him would be a wonderful, delightful relationship. You guys remember Enoch. From, uh, from Genesis chapter 5. He was one that the Lord delighted in so much that he took him to heaven early. And so <laughs> it's an awesome way to go. I would love that. Um, but that, that's just an example of someone who, it's not just that he delighted in God, it's that God delighted in his relationship with Enoch. That he loved him because Enoch walked with God. Enoch gave everything that he had toward this knowledge and this understanding and this intimate relationship with God. We're given that example as one that we can follow as well, and that's the thrust of what Peter is trying to get at here, that we have the opportunity to know God. We have the opportunity to know Him through His Word, and then we also have the special privilege of having the Holy Spirit indwelling us as believers. And those two things put together, our, our eyes are illuminated towards Scripture. We're able to understand the things that are spiritual, we as Christians have no excuse but to know God. We have no excuse but to seek Him out and pursue Him and make our lives a testimony of His grace. So I would pray that you would be able to do that, that you would take this exhortation from Peter and apply it to your own life. Let's bow in prayer. God, I pray for us as a group of Christians.